whatever is the lowest that you would pay someone else to basically do what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you need more money for living purposes, you take those out as distributions, distributions or dividends. And the reason for that is whatever you take out as dividends or distributions, you save roughly 15% taxes versus doing like a payroll for yourself. Definitely. Wow, that's big. Yeah, it's a huge planning area, especially for people with a lot of active real estate income. And when, you know, when we work with investors nationwide on You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, great state of Arizona, California, Nevada, Washington, all along the Western Seaboard. This is Marcus Maloney, and I am the host of the Azria Show. And I have my co-host, Mike Del Preet, who's the executive director. How are you doing, Mike? Wonderful, Marcus. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> so my co-host and our executive director, he has a dry sense of humor. But once you catch on to him, you'll you'll definitely really dry. Definitely. <laughs> So today we're we're excited. We're extremely grateful to have Amanda Hahn here. And we're going to be talking about, since it's tax season, we're going to be talking about some strategies real estate investors can use to help reduce some of that tax liability and some of the things that you can do with your 401k to acquire properties and what you should and shouldn't do. So Amanda is a CPA and tax strategist who specializes in helping people use real estate to save massive amounts and taxes and keep their hard-earned money. She helps educated investors on how to maximize tax write-offs, legal entity strategies, tax-efficient ways to access profits, how to use your 401k money for real estate, and much more. She's also a published author who's authored several books related to tax strategies for savvy real estate investor and has been featured in the prominent publications, including Forbes Finance Council, Money Magazine, Talks at Google, CNBC, Smart Money, Talk Radio, as well as the Bigger Pockets podcast. So today, Amanda and Matt has helped thousands of investors nationwide to save on taxes with proactive tax planning. So Amanda, thank you so much. Welcome to being on the show. <laughs> thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you for that very long bio. <laughs> I know, it's like, I was like, when does this stop? <laughs> well, it's a good one, though. Sure we got all of your, yeah, we wanted to make sure we got all of your accomplishments in. That way people can know exactly who they're listening to. So, Amanda, just kind of getting started, introduce us to you. I know we read your bio, but give us a little bit of background about yourself. Well, I, you know, I like to say that I am a real estate, I'm a CPA by day and real estate investor by night. So I think I'm similar to maybe a lot of our audience here who, you know, still does some other type of professional work during the day, but also using real estate as one of their main wealth building tools. And so I'm really excited to be here because I think there's a, a huge need for investors to understand how real estate could help us save taxes. And I love being on podcasts like this because 
our audience are people that are already interested or already doing real estate. So we don't have to convince them, right? That real estate is good. They're here because they already know that real estate is good. So then it's just about how do we utilize real estate to also help us save taxes, right? In addition to cash flow and appreciation, mm -hmm. but how can we take mm -hmm. advantage of kind of the tax benefits of it all too? Gotcha, so, gotcha. Well, you, you won me over already because you said you are a real estate investor as well. That's one of the biggest things we preach is, you know, from any service that any service provider in real estate investing, we, we would like them to be an investor themselves. So that's awesome that you're actually an investor. So what about your investing world? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty boring. Um, I have- It would uh, be boring though, right? <laughs> I mean, boring it just in comparison to what a lot of our clients do. Um, mm. So for us, I mean, our strategy pretty much is long-term hold, you know, hold as many as you can, mm -hmm. try not to sell it. Because what I've realized that every time I've sold properties that I owned, I always tend to regret it a couple of years down the road. Been there. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a recurring mistake I keep making. Every time I sell, I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have done that. But yeah, pretty mm -hmm. much um, the standard long-term hold investor, light rehab to our properties. And I'm actually from Las Vegas originally, even though I'm based out of California, but I'm originally from Las Vegas, Nevada. So most of the investments we make where we're more hands-on are in Las Vegas still. But also in addition to that, we also invest in a lot of syndications. So because a lot of our clients and just other investors I meet have syndications in multifamily or self-storage or mobile home parks. And, you know, I love, for me, that's the, okay. I look at it as leverage, right? Being able to put my money in a deal where other people are doing the work for me <laughs> and I get Girl, the benefits. Very true. Um, yeah, so those are mostly what we do. Uh, I say it's a little bit boring just because our clients do all sorts of, you know, crazy, wacky things in real estate and different asset classes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, and even with that, just kind of looking at that, what do you think is the most profitable model when it comes to saving on taxes? Is it the more creative, active real estate flipping and wholesaling and syndications, or is it, you know, just a regular buy and hold, just boring, static quote, but you save on those taxes, which, which one would you advise? You know, it's really interesting because when, when you hear about real estate tax savings, we're really talking about people who own properties for rent, whether that's single family, multifamily, mobile home parks, the ones where you are earning rental income are where the tax benefits come in because we get to have write-offs like depreciation and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. For people who are dealing more on the active real estate side, like flipping, wholesaling, that kind of stuff, we actually don't get as many of these traditional tax benefits we're talking about. Reason being that, you know, if you're flipping a property, you no longer own it at the end of the transaction. So mm -hmm. there is no depreciation associated with that particular building. Right? But, uh, but we do have clients, again, who do both. You know, like we have people who are like, hey... I make a lot of money flipping, right? So that's my business model is buy, rehab, and flip. And that's great. So the question becomes, well, how do we reduce the taxes from the flips? Well, maybe we also own rental real estate or continue to buy rental real estate. So then we can use the losses from the rentals to offset the flip profit as well. Right? So that's where all the fun Brilliant. comes in. <laughs> and then, and that's still, and the flipping also covers the wholesalers, right? Just anything transactional. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Even like commissions, property management fees, no, all that kind of stuff. We have a lot of people now doing like rental arbitrage, 
right? Where you don't own mm-hmm. the you don't own the real estate, but I'm leasing from John Smith and then I sublease it out as a rental or short-term rental. So also in those scenarios, again, because we don't own the building, someone else owns the building, we don't really get the depreciation benefit, but we can write off our rent expense that we are paying the property owner. So not gotcha. the end of the world, still some good tax benefits there. There is, and okay. it's a hot topic right now. I actually have one of our CPAs, like our business associates here as Rhea tomorrow, we're going to talk about short-term rental tax benefits. And I guess there's like a short-term rental exemption of some sort that's newer, right? Are you familiar with that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like if you, if you, if your stays are on average less than seven days, you're a real estate professional. Can we talk about like the real real estate professional for like our world and the, maybe yeah. a little bit on the short-term rental? Yeah, this is probably the hottest topic right now uh, (laughs) that I see. We call it the short-term rental tax loophole. And it's interesting you say that it's new. It's actually not new. We have been using this strategy with clients for, gosh, almost a decade probably. But I think it's newer. We feel like it's newer because a lot more CPAs are now understanding this strategy. So people are talking about it a lot more like on social media and things like that. And also obviously short-term rentals itself has become more popular in the last couple of years. But we've had Mm -hmm. clients who've been doing short-term rentals for for years and years. But um, so the way it works is, you know, if you're someone who invests in long-term rentals and you have just kind of doing it on the side as a passive investor, you have a full-time job. If you have higher income, typically that means $150,000 or more, then you may not be able to use the losses from your rentals to offset your W-2 income, unless if you're a real estate professional. So real estate professional, you know, there's a couple of requirements to do it, but effectively you have to spend more time in real estate than your job. And that's hard for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? If you're like a full-time, if you're a doctor or an attorney, it's hard to have more, <laughs> more than 40 hours a week, basically in real estate. So what happens yeah. then is the losses are, are considered limited. So those rental losses only offset income from other rental properties or other passive investments. Short-term rental, mm-hmm. we call it a loophole because if you're investing in short-term rentals and you create these tax losses strategically, you don't have to be a real estate professional you can still use the losses. So an example might be someone who's a doctor, a full-time physician making a lot of money, invest in a couple short-term rentals on the side. If they're doing the right things during the year, it's very possible for them to use tax losses from the short-term rentals to offset their medical income, even though they're not a real estate professional, they're just doing short-term rentals on the side. And that's what we call it a loophole, right? Because you don't have to have like more than 40 hours a week in real estate and you can use the tax loss. Okay. And that's why you need to have a professional like yourself on your team. So, so on that uh, question on the real estate professional side for just traditional real estate investing, or even like uh, flipping or whatever it is, I was yeah. told and correct me that your general contractors and your subcontractors, can they count as time on the project towards your 40 hours or your full-time no. real estate professional? No. Okay. No. So you're a real estate professional. If you own long-term rental properties, you are the one who has to spend all the hours. The hours spent by your crew are not part of your hours. But, you know, if you're someone who your main job is flipping or real estate brokerage firm, those hours do count towards real estate, right? Your hours. So it's not just the rentals themselves. So for people like that, it's much easier than if like a teacher or CPA, right? Who's trying to be a real estate professional. But again, these are only for long-term rentals. I think the most common mistake that we see a lot is investors who are in the short-term rental space 
that their mm -hmm. CPAs are saying you have to be a real estate professional to use the losses. And that's not true at all, right? I was just saying earlier, we don't care if you're investing in short-term rentals, we don't care how many hours you're spending at your job. We don't care whether you're a real estate professional. You just have to spend enough hours in the short-term rentals themselves to be able to use the tax losses. Okay. Got it. Is there a set amount of hours in the short-term rental space that you have to yeah. do? Yeah. Yep. So the number, the hours requirement is what we call material participation. So if you're talking to your tax advisor, you say, okay, they'll say, have you met material participation hours? If the answer is yes, you can use the losses to offset W-2 income. If the answer is no, it only offsets other passive income. There's seven different ways to qualify for material participation. And we'll kind of go over the top three because a lot of the, the other ones okay. we kind of just rarely see. So one is you spend at least 500 hours on your short-term rentals. So 500 hours, you know, staging the property, dealing with the guests, dealing with, you know, whatever goes on with the short-term rental. So if you're spending 500 hours on your short-term rentals, then you've met the requirements. And if you're someone who's married, it's both the hours of you and your spouse. Okay. Okay. You can combine those. The other one is if you don't have 500 hours, you also need it if you spend at least 100 hours and no one else has spent more time than you. So for example, Marcus has spent 110 hours on his short-term rental. But if we look at the cleaning crew, the landscapers, the gardeners, the repair people, they spent less hours than Marcus, then Marcus also would have met the material participation, which means he can use the losses to offset his W-2 income or other business income, right? Non-real estate stuff. And then the third one that we see is that you spend any number of hours but that is okay. more hours than everybody else combined. So let's say Marcus spent 80 hours on his short-term rentals. We added up the cleaning crew, the landscapers, the repair guy. They all added up to 30 hours, right? So those combined, they're less than Marcus's hours. Then he also can use the losses against all the income as well. Okay, so we have the, the top three material participation is 500 hours working on your short-term rentals. Or if you don't meet the 500 hour threshold, as long as you do a hundred hours and no one else spends more time than you yeah. in that. And number three is any number of hours, as long as you work more than anyone else on your short-term rentals. So the third Perfect. one is you have any number of hours, but you have more than everyone else combined. Is okay. Problem. Okay. Yeah. More than everyone else combined. Good. Yeah. Good. Yes. It's funny because I feel like, I think Mike, you're saying this is like a newer loophole. Uh, and I post a lot about this on my social media, but still I get people who say, oh, my CPA says that I can't do it because I'm not a real estate professional. So I think for those of you in our audience who is investing in short-term rentals or plan to invest in short-term rentals, that's the one main lesson is that you don't have to be a real estate professional. We don't care how many hours you're working at your job. We just care about these hours that Marcus did a recap for us on. And that's how you determine whether you can use the losses or not. Much easier to me. Okay. That's a good point. Like, how, how does someone handle that? Especially like if you're newer to real estate investing. Yeah. Someone, you know, says, hey, my CPA says I can. Of course, you're. they say they know investing. You trust them. Like, you're newer. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you know if they're telling you the right thing? How do you work around that? Yeah. <laughs> it's I don't know. I, I'm just... <laughs> I think it's that's why it's important to like 
yeah like listen to podcasts like this and mm -hmm. you know read books network with other investors I mean I think that you know we never stop learning right as an investor I never stop learning yep. as a CPA I never stop learning and so it's just really empowering yourself with the knowledge but I think one of the issues that people have is is not working with CPAs who actually specialize in real estate um, mm -hmm. you know, I think especially now that we're heading towards tax season, everyone is looking to get their tax returns filed. And the question that people ask is like, do you work with real estate investors, right? Whether any of you CPAs do you work with real estate investors. And I think 10 times out of 10, the answer is going to be, yes, I work with real estate investors because every CPA has at least one client who owns at least one right. rental property or rent out a room in their home or something. Right. So I think one of the things that we should try to do is ask better questions, not just do you work with real estate investors, but, you know, how, how can we gauge whether someone actually does real estate? So if you're talking to them about your transaction, you're wholesaling, right? Do they understand what that means? Mm -hmm. What is, what is wholesale real estate, you know, or the Burr transaction, right? If they're part of the okay. market, what's Burr, you know, like my friend is doing a Burr, how do you treat it for tax purposes? Let's see what their answer is. So they even know what you're talking about. I think those are, you know, getting them to talk about the transactions of real estate, can help you gauge how much real estate they actually know or do. <laughs> no, because that's intimidating, you know, asking someone like, do you invest in real estate? And like, kind of like pre-qualifying someone, you know, it kind of feels like an awkward thing. But what I've learned, because I had the nice little installment plan when I first started with the IRS. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, so, and I've learned over the years how important you are to our business and being on top of everything that you can do and having the right CPA. So yeah, very true. I was about to thank you for your very service. True. It's so important <laughs> to real estate investing. <laughs> I feel like I'm like in the military or something. People say yeah, thank, thank you, for, your you service. for all that you do. It's so important though. It really is. So Amanda, let me ask you, because we have quite a few real estate investors that's transitioning from working a W-2 job and doing real estate part-time to now going full-time. And one of the questions that they always ask is, you know, well, how do I pay myself to where, you know, I don't get in trouble with the IRS? Mm -hmm. Yeah, excuse me. That's a great question. I think the answer depends on what kind of real estate they're doing. So two main categories, right? We're either landlords, meaning all types of rental mm -hmm. income, or we're doing active real estate, like flipping, wholesaling, flipping. real mm -hmm. estate brokerage. For someone who is a landlord, okay, just earning rental income, the rules are pretty, pretty lax for how you pay yourself. Effectively, if you have rental income in an LLC or a partnership, you, you can take that money out whenever you want. So let's say my property is cash flowing $1,000 this month. I can take all of it out. It doesn't change how much or how little taxes I pay. Those are just flow through entities. So very often what we see is a, a person investing in rental properties, taking the profits out of their entities, but at tax time, they still have a tax loss, right? Which is what we want. We want there to be true cash mm -hmm. flow that you can live off of. But when it comes to taxes, you have a loss to offset some of this other income that you or a spouse might be generating. So yeah, for, for people who have rentals in an LLC or personally you can pay yourself however, you know, there's no W-2s or any of that. You just take it on as an as-needed basis. A little bit of a different story for people who have active real estate income, like flipping, wholesaling, brokerage stuff. Typically, that kind of income, we recommend having that inside of an S-corporation. The reason mm -hmm. for to earn that in the corporation is because it can help you save on self-employment taxes. 
So if Mike earned $100,000 in his personal name to flipping, he's going to pay a lot higher taxes than if he'd flipping in his S corporation. Mm-hmm. maybe save like $7,000 or more in taxes by running it through a corporation. So with people that have active income, what we typically recommend is you pay yourself the lowest reasonable salary, like W-2, right? Mm-hmm. Just whatever is the lowest that you would pay someone else to basically do what you do on a day-to-day basis. And if you need more money for living purposes, you take those out as distributions, distributions or dividends. And the reason for that is whatever you take out as dividends or distributions, you save roughly 15% taxes versus doing like a payroll for yourself. Definitely. Wow, that's big. Yeah, it's a huge planning area, especially for people with a lot of active real estate income. And when, you know, when we work with investors nationwide on planning, if they have an active business, one of my first questions is always like, how do you pay yourself? How do you determine how much your payroll is? Um, Mm -hmm. And frequently people will say, well, I pay myself, you know, 80,000 in payroll because that's what I need to live off of, right? And that's the right Mm -hmm. answer. That's when you know you have a planning opportunity. Because what you pay yourself as a W-2 should just be whatever the lowest reasonable market rate is. Everything else that you need, you take it out as dividends or distribution. That's how you save on taxes. Okay. So then, sorry, Mike, (laughs) but I just want to make sure I get these questions in while I'm thinking about them. We're answering Marcus's um, questions right now. (laughs) It's a free consultation for Marcus. (laughs) I'll sit back and wait. So no, because I I get this quite a bit when people ask me and I'm not a CPA. So I always tell them, you know, you need to go and talk to your CPA, but when it comes to the distributions, then when should those distributions be distributed? Is it per, Hey, I just closed a fix and flip and we made 80 grand on it. Should I distribute myself, you know, 10,000, 15,000, when should those distributions take place? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it really depends. You know, of course, you want to have enough money in the entity to fund your next deal. Um, Mm -hmm. But outside of that, distributions can happen anytime. There is no guideline by the IRS in terms of how frequent or infrequent the money can come out. I will say we want to stay away from monthly distributions of the same dollar amount because then it starts to look like payroll, right? So every month I have 5,000 payroll. 5,000 distributions every single month. That doesn't look as good because it's like, well, maybe that's all just payroll, that you should be paying payroll taxes. Okay. Um, so typically we recommend if you can do quarterly distributions, that looks much better. But, you know, things happen all the time where it's like, hey, I need more money because I got a, you know, rehab issue or something with my rentals, right? I need to take money out of my corporation to help fund some of my rental properties. And that's okay to do. But just, I would stay away from the same amount every single month. Okay, perfect. And that's what I was driving home. That's what I wanted to make sure you you got to. So go ahead, Mike, I'll yield the floor to you. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. No, just on the same topic. So so there's got to be a, I'm assuming a threshold for the S-Corp where, hey, you should make at least maybe 50K, 80K, 100K, right? Do you recommend anything? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I mean, with everything, taxes, just like with anything in real estate, it's all, it comes down to the cost benefit right? Is it worth it for me Mm -hmm. to have a corporation because you have the cost of forming it, the cost Mm -hmm. of all tax return, the cost to maintain it and all that stuff. So if you're someone who doesn't have other income, so all I'm doing is 
you know, rentals and flips and things like that. Then yeah, roughly, you know, typically about 40,000 net profit, net meaning after expenses, not just the flip expenses, but your overhead, your marketing, you know, all that other stuff, paying yourself, right? So about 40,000 40, net profit is typically when we, we start to look at whether an S corporation makes sense. Now, if you're someone who also has other income, let's say you also have another business or you're still working a W-2, but flipping on the side, threshold is a little bit higher depending on how much W-2 income you're earning. So oftentimes for people who have other higher W-2 income, an S corporation could make sense when you're talking about 80,000 or more in net profit. Okay. So now on the other spectrum, let's say maybe I'm under that 40 or, you know, you have to do quarterly payments. So if you're just a straight LLC, you're wholesale and flipping, whatever it is, you got to do quarterly payments. Do you have to do those quarterly payments or how do you determine those? What's that whole story? Yeah. So the quarterly payments you're talking about is what we call estimated tax payments. So basically the IRS says, if you owed taxes last year, right around last year's return, you have to start estimating what you're going to owe me and pay me during the year. I don't, I no longer want to wait until next April for that money. And so... One of the things, so there's a couple of different ways to calculate how much quarterly you're going to put in. One is based on what I think I'm going to make this year. The other is going to be based on what I made last year. So for a lot of investors, if let's say last year, my income was lower than what I think I will make this year, I can pay based on what I actually made last year. So if last year my flip profit was, you know, $100,000, I can use that to calculate my quarterly payments this year, even though this year I'm projecting 500,000 or a million dollars worth of flip profit. Mm -hmm. So that's a key planning point for a lot of people because I think, especially for people who are flipping, you know, a lot of times cash is tight, right? Yeah. So we don't want to overpay the IRS earlier than we need to or more than we need to. And that's why using prior year's numbers, a lot of times it's more beneficial. But it doesn't mean you still have to pay the tax, but at least you have maybe until April or March of next year rather than having to pay all of that right now per quarter. Cool. So Mike, that's how, probably how you got on the payment plan, right? <laughs> uh, and just not paying them. And, and, <laughs> and not paying them. <laughs> For people who are flipping, I, I, we have a lot of clients who flip and, you know, it's, you know, if you do it correctly, there's a huge amount of profit, but I think sometimes depending on the deal, if you look at it from a tax perspective, holding on to a flip could be very, very beneficial, especially if you live in a high taxing state. So fix and flip, not only do we pay federal ta income taxes, we also pay state income taxes and we pay either self-employment tax or payroll tax. When you add those up, sometimes it's like 50, 60%, right? And so that's very high. If you have a hundred thousand dollar profit after taxes, only 40,000. If you would have kept that flip, let's say we didn't sell it. We kept it as a rental for a year or two years or three years. Now, not only do we pay no taxes, right? Because we haven't sold it. So we don't have taxes mm -hmm. due on that 50, 60,000. That property also turned into a rental. So now it becomes an asset. I can take depreciation on it and use those losses to offset my other flip profit, right? On the stuff I already actually sold. So sometimes if you, you know, if the property is right, it, it could make sense to hold on to it just to, you know, pay no taxes now and get some tax deductions out of it as well. you recommend rather than going out on friday nights to grab the tax code and read it <laughs> is it fun yeah <laughs> or should we hire someone to do that <laughs> oh man definitely i think you know it, it, it for me 
you know, everything in real estate is about leverage, right? I mean, real estate investors are really comfortable with leveraging banks' money, investors' money, and things like that. But really, you're how about leveraging like the knowledge and expertise of other people who've done it? You know, really, right, regardless sure. of whether it's like a CPA or a mortgage lender or whatever. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. just not something, you know, that you want to do yourself. Unless, you know, that also happens to be your unique abilities. But other than that, not the best way to spend Friday nights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, just making sure. The CPA. <laughs> <laughs> so real quick, Amanda, because we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon. Is there something, a topic or something that you think that we absolutely need to know? or something new that's coming down the pipeline that you you and your company is aware of? Gosh, so new this year, the major change I think this year is bonus depreciation. So in addition to just the IRS allowing us to take depreciation on our rental properties, in 2022, we had the ability to take 100% bonus depreciation. So that's especially helpful for people who you know, have appliances or furnishing or use their car, right? For real estate purposes, you can have the opportunity to do a hundred percent right off on that. For 2023, we still get bonus depreciation, but instead of a hundred percent, now we can take 80%. So Okay. Not as great as last year, but still really, really huge benefit. So for those people who are still kind of on the fence, you know, whether they should buy more real estate this year or not, we're still early enough in the year that I would definitely recommend aggressively looking to purchase rental real estate because that is going to be helpful. The, the bonus appreciation is not just for real estate, but it's also for other assets you use in real estate as well. So for example, like a vehicle, right? You can possibly still do bonus depreciation on that if you're using it primarily for your real estate business. And that's a hot that's topic. So. You know, I see, I see people on the internet talking about if, so what's the, what are the two different ways to look at depreciating or taking a loss on your car? I know it's like, if it's over 6,000 pounds. There's that one. And there, I'm assuming there's other ways as well, if it's not. Yeah. So for larger, larger vehicles that are truck or SUV over 6,000 pounds, the way it works is for depreciation purposes, there's no dollar amount limit. So for example, if you bought a car for $100,000, you could possibly write off $100,000. But if it's under that weight limit, then there's a, an annual cap on how much can be deducted. I think this year is close to about $20,000. So meaning if you bought a $100,000 car, for sure depreciation might be $20,000. doesn't mean you lose out on the rest. The rest you just still depreciate yeah. in future years. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. You know, you're on social media, you're seeing celebrities like the Kardashians, right? They bought a yep. plane for the depreciation. So, you know, it's that's really interesting because that was the government's intent you know, all these tax loopholes mm -hmm. we're talking about, those are designed because the government wanted you to do something, right? Spend money, make investments and things like that. So, you know, one of the, the ones with all the vehicle depreciation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So, cool. Wow. What else? So, so tell, tell us, us, yeah, let's start wrapping it up. Or Marcus, unless you had a question. Yeah, I was just going to tell her, ask her about her book that she wrote and where people can get it and things like that. Yeah, so thank you. The the book I, my husband and Matt and I wrote is called Tax Strategies for the Savvy Real Estate Investor, published by Bigger Pockets. So you can find it on Bigger Pockets website or also on Amazon. And it's actually not bad for a Friday night read if you decided to stay okay. home. Mm -hmm. The book itself has very little, almost very few numbers. 
and even fewer tax jargon. It's really written in story format. So it's a bunch of stories about clients that we've worked with and how they were able to save taxes by doing the right things during the year. And also some nightmare stories about people who kind of didn't do planning correctly and, and how much it cost in taxes. So yeah, I was, you know, I think the feedback we've gotten is people really like it because it was based on stories and not a bunch of like, you know, a regurgitation of the tax code. Love Excellent. That's Excellent. Awesome. So Amanda, if we wanted more from you, how can we reach you? How can we find you? I think my website is probably the best. My company is called Keystone CPA. So keystonecpa.com. We have actually a free downloadable toolkit to help investors kind of take the first step in tax savings. And uh, if you want just snippets, like 10, 30 second tax updates from me every day, um, you can follow me on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram as Amanda Han CPA. Okay. I'm going on there right and now. And Amanda, last question for me. Do you work primarily with just California investors or are you nationwide? Uh, we actually work with investors nationwide. So less than half of okay. our clients are in California because, you know, for real estate investors, you really, you know, just because you're in Arizona, you might be investing in all types of places too, right? So same for us. We have yep. clients all over the U.S. that invest in all different kinds of states. So it is a good to ask when you're interviewing CPAs whether they were, you know, they're well-versed in different state law as well. Wow. Absolutely. 12, Absolutely. 1,400 followers. Look at you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You surprised how many people like tax stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, fun. it's so important. And, and, and like you hit another thing that was very important. You said, the tax code's designed to help entrepreneurs and, and stuff, right? We're not avoiding our taxes and trying not, you know, you know, you know, all the stigma out there. It's it's there for everybody to use, not just investors, it's for every citizen out there. You, we all have the same opportunity to use this tax code. So call Amanda and she will show you how to do it. Well, thank you so much, Amanda, for being here on the Asria Show. We really appreciate the insights and the education. You guys know exactly what to do. Amanda has shared her website. She has shared her Instagram. So if you want more, go ahead, follow her, and make sure you get in contact with Amanda Hahn. Amanda, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Asria Show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.